So the heading of my message this morning is, Who doth hinder you? So before I preach this morning, um, I fully understand that a, um, a Sunday morning sermon is usually uh, you know, a teaching sermon to equip the saints to carry out the Lord's work. Um, and as I was um, you know, studying and writing some, some notes down, the Lord kept drawing me back to Galatians 5. So I really believe that the Lord has placed this on my heart this morning. So as we've already read, Galatians 5, 7 and 8 says, Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. So one word that jumps out straight away is the word who. Who hindered you? See, Paul didn't say what, where or how, but who. So he's implying that there they, that they was someone. So the word hinder or a similar meaning means to delay, impede, or to prevent action. So a little bit of um, history on why Paul was writing these words. Uh, he penned these words to the Galatians as they were falling back into Judaism. The false teachers were trying to bring them back under the bondage of the law. And the law stated that all believers had to be circumcised. The law of Moses was no longer in force. There was no need to keep the 613 laws. Now it was justification by faith in Jesus Christ and not by the righteousness of the law. You see, Jesus came to fulfill the law so we don't have to. So the question um, I really need to ask myself and we really need to address this morning is, who is holding us back? Who is hindering us? Is it family? Is it friends? Or is it, is it us? So this morning I want to look at three meanings of the word hinder. And the first is delay. So if we're not saved this morning, who doth hinder you? Who hinders your salvation this morning? 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says, For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in a day of salvation have I secured thee. Behold, now, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You see, nobody knows what tomorrow is going to bring. You know, we're not guaranteed the next hour. Why then do people find it convenient to defer or put off their salvation? You know, seven years ago, I mean, things just, they, they can flip, as, as you know, you know in, in a heartbeat. Seven years ago, um, as you know, my son went out um, for a drive in the car with his cousin and his friend. Um, and, you know, nobody knows really what happened, but only my son survived. Um, so, yeah, things can just, you know, turn around in a heartbeat. James 4.14 says, Whereas you know, not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? There's even a vapour that appeareth for a little time and then vanishes away. Life, as you know, just comes and it goes. Proverbs 20, 27.1 says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what the day will bring forth. You see, Paul wasn't joking when he said, Now is the accepted time. Yet many people put off accepting Jesus, thinking they have all the time in the world. You know, I'll do it when I'm older. I'm busy. You know, I need to do this. I need to go here. I've got all these things I need to do first. Or if I get ill, you know, when I get ill, um, just before I die, I'll repent. The chances are we won't get that chance. Today, now, is the appointed time. We are urged not to delay it or to put it off for another second. Again, friends, we don't know what's around the corner. We don't know when Jesus will come back. I mean, Jesus could come back by time for the time I finished this sermon this morning. That's how close we are. 2 Timothy 3, 1 and 4 says, 
This know also, that in the last days, in the last days perilous times shall come. Friends, this is, this is where we are. Listen to this now. So this is exactly where we are. For men shall be lovers of themselves. How many times do you see people taking selfies? You know, whatever you look, people are just taking selfies and Snapchat. And they're just, they're just lovers of themselves. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient, disobedient to parents. I mean, we see this all the time. Unthankful. <laughs> it's my bugbear. I mean, you, you drive in, you know, um, you're waiting for some oncom oncoming traffic. And they, they just, they haven't got the courtesy to wave. You know, just unthankful. Truce breakers, we see that in the government. I mean, when the government promises, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to do that when we get in power, and then when they get in power, they, you know, they don't do anything that they, they said they would. False accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers, despisers of those who are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Friends, we see that everywhere we go. I mean, nobody wants God um, in our schools anymore. Um, they've taken all the Bibles out of the hotels. You know, we're not allowed to pray in public anymore. So as you can see, we're in the last days. So the consequence of dying without accepting Jesus is terrifying. You see, Jesus preached so much more on hell than he did on heaven. Why? To avoid it at all costs. You see, the reality is when we die, we'll either go to heaven or hell. Either one or two places. Many believe that when we die, that's it. We'll just fall asleep. Friends, that's, that's not true. It's just the beginning. The beginning of eternity. Luke 12, 4 and 5 says, And I say unto you, my friends, Be not afraid of them that can kill the body. And after they have done no more they can do, I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him, which after he hath killed, hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. But why would a loving God send someone to hell? Well, friends, the simple answer is he doesn't. It's our choice. You know, in society, if we commit a crime or an offence, um, we stand before a judge. And what does the judge do? He either sentences to, I don't know, six months, two years, five years, ten years, whatever it is, depending on the severity of our crime. We don't blame the judge for sending criminals to prison. That's his job. You see, when a criminal breaks the law, they are choosing the consequences of their crime. God is love, and also by default, God hates sin and must judge it. You see, the same will happen when, when we stand before Jesus. Hebrews 9, 27 tells us, It is appointed unto man once to die, but after this judgment. You see, the unsaved will stand before the great white throne judgment and be judged on everything that they've said and done and face eternity in torment. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's standards. There's none righteous, no, not one. So we have a choice. Either we can pay the price for our sins, or if we've accepted Jesus, there's no charge. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he bore all our sins. He paid the price in full, so we don't have to. Is the gospel that simple? Yes, it is. It's that simple. You see, hell wasn't prepared for mankind. It was prepared for the devil and those he persuaded out of heaven. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but he's long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Again, he's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. See, God doesn't want to put anyone in hell. 
John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Again, whosoever, whosoever. Hell is a place of torment, a place of ever-increasing darkness that can be felt, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, a place of constant torment. You see, those in hell will have a body fitted uh, for destruction, a new body that, that, that... See, we don't know all the elements. I mean, God is, you know, um, I know he's created us, but there's so much more, you know, to, to the Lord. Um, when we, you know, um, are heaven by, we, we'll have a new body. Um, and also those in hell will, will have a body fitted for destruction. Um, and, and, I, and I feel it's, it's a body that can be, you know, um, placed in fire, um, just can feel the intense heat, but, but can never be consumed. So in Luke 16, we, we read about two men, a rich man and a beggar. So in verse 19, it says, There was a certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and fed sumptuously every day, meaning he was affluent. He had money. I mean, he wasn't worried where his next meal was coming from. You know, he wasn't worried about paying his bills. He had enough money. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. Now, this is not the same Lazarus that, that Jesus raised from the dead, which laid at his gate. He was full of souls. And desiring to be fed with crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came to lick his souls. So we see here the two opposite ends of the scale. We see the one who's totally dependent on others. And then we see the other one who's totally dependent on himself. And it came to pass that the beggar died. And was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. So that's where believers went before, before Jesus died. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water to cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy different lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. See, so basically what he's saying, remember when life was good and you didn't need anyone? So it's, it's now kind of, you know, twisted on its head. And beside all this, between us and you is a great gulf fixed, so, th so that they which pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from hence. See, it's confirmation that eternity is fixed. Once, but once you're in hell, you stay in hell. You know, there's, there's many religions that, that say, you know, talk about purgatory, that, you know, you go to a holding place, um, and then the, the, the prayer of the saints, or, you know, the more money you pay in, you know, the quicker. Friends, that's heresy, and that's a lie from the pit. Once you're fixed in hell, that's where you stay. And again, those in heaven remain in heaven. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wilt send us to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he might testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. So he wanted um, Abraham to send Lazarus to go and speak to, to, to his brethren so, so they could avoid hell. And Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he saith, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. And friends, that, that just blows my mind because, you know, if, 
if somebody had died um, and you know they would rose from the dead and they come to you know to speak to you you'd think they would listen but their hearts were probably so hard that they wouldn't listen it also tells us in revelation that during the great tribulation when god pours out the you know his wrath on mankind the mankind knows that god is doing it but yet they won't repent and i just i find that incredible absolutely incredible their hearts their hearts are so hard that they know god you know is sending all this wrath but yet they will not repent. So you think a dead man coming back will have any effect? No, it won't. So Omni in hell will be like the rich man. Heard the gospel, went to church, heard about Jesus, but rejected him. See, once we've died, it's too late. So if you're unsaved, if you're unsaved this morning, what shall we do? Well, in Acts 2, verse 37, whilst Peter was preaching, they were pricked in their hearts. And that's what the word of God does. It's, it's a two-edged sword. And it pricks the hearts. What shall we do to be saved? And Peter tells them to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Acts 10 tells us about the centurion named Cornelius. Again, Peter was preaching. Preaching the gospel. And he said that day him and his house were saved. In Acts 16, again, we read about a jailer. He heard the gospel. And he said, sirs, what must we do to be saved? And every time, it's the same answer. And that same answer applies today. Realize and admit that we've sinned and we've fallen short of God's expectations. Realize that just being a good person, friends, it doesn't get us into heaven. If you're a good person, you're just a philanthropist. Admit that Jesus went to a cross and on the cross he bore all our sins. He took our place so we don't have to pay the price ourselves. Admit that Jesus was buried and on the third day he rose. Repent, which means to have deep remorse over the sins we've done. And turn around and start walking a new path, a new direction. Ask Jesus to come into our heart and our lives and start walking with him. Friends, I, I, I urge you this morning, if you've not accepted Jesus as Lord and Saviour, now is the appointed time. Today, do not delay it. Friends, we don't know what the next half hour is going to bring. So the second word um, I want to look at is, you did run well. Who impeded you? So the Christian life is compared to a race. So from the time we are saved, from the time we leave this world, we're racing. But the race we're running, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon, a race of endurance. And unlike any other race, it's not a competition, as in who comes first nor are we competing against each other. Hebrews 12, 1 says, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with every so great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So we're running a race, but it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. 2 Timothy 4, 7 says, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. So why does God compare the Christian life to a race? Well, in order to get a better understanding, we have to look at the life of an athlete. So in order for an athlete to reach their end goal, they must lead a disciplined life. An athlete must eat the right food in order to grow and become stronger. So this morning, what food are we eating spiritually? Are we feasting on God's word on a daily basis? in order to grow and to become stronger. Because in both cases, if we eat the wrong food, we become weak 
and lazy. An athlete will make sure they're always at training to, re to, to receive instruction and knowledge from the coach. He tells them what they need to do in order to succeed. So do we attend church faithfully? Hebrews 10.25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. See, we spoke about this earlier, about the day approaching, about the Lord coming soon. We need to encourage each other. We need to lift one another up. And friends, if we're at home, we can't do that. You know, if, if I'm studying, if you're studying in the week, and the Lord has given you a word, you know, placed something on your heart. I mean, Pastor has said it so many times. You know, if the Lord has placed something on your heart, um, you know, give it, if, whether it's through prayer or whether it's through, you know, reading of scripture. Because a brother or sister may come in um, and they may be, you know, um, dealing with whatever kinds of, you know, anxiety or issues, whatever it is. And the Lord has given us that word. So A, if we're faithful and we're here and they're faithful and, and they're here, then we can encourage you and we can lift up. See, the, the, the trouble is if, if we don't come and they need the word and we don't give the word or we're here to give the word and they're not here. So friends, it's so important in, the, in these last days that we come together, we lift one another up, we encourage one another. An athlete has to prepare mentally to compete. And friends, it's no different um, for us. 2 Timothy um, 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We are to be students of God's word. We need to spend so much time in God's word. You know, it's easy to switch on the TV. It's easy to, you know, to get our phones and be addicted to our phones and the TVs. We need to be addicted to God's word. Amen. 2 Timothy 1, 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And we'll go into this um, in greater detail next week. Um, I'm preaching on, on Psalm 27. And we'll go into fear in much greater detail next week. But a, a fearful athlete will never succeed because fear breeds negativity. And fear is a carnal response, not a godly response. Luke 18 once tells us to always pray and not to faint. We are to pray without ceasing, which simply means God should be at the forefront of our minds continually. Friends, prayer is such a powerful weapon and we really need to, to utilize it. I, I just want you just to, just to think, for, listen, we have access, right? We have access to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the creator of heaven and earth. We have access to Almighty God. And, you know, it's, I mean, yeah, there's times where, you know, I, 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 you know, should pray a lot more than I do. But just, guys, let's just think about that. We have access to Almighty God. I'm just going to let that sink in for a second or two. That right there should make us pray without ceasing. I heard a preacher once say that as believers, we have an access room that God has stocked with everything we need. So basically, there's a, there's a, there's a room here that God has stocked with everything we need. Grace, mercy, all the provisions, everything we need is in this room. But yet so many times we don't access that room. The third word um, I quickly want to look at is to prevent action. So who doth hinder you? Prevent us witnessing. So I, I've written fear, but again, we, we'll go into fear in, in greater detail next week. But is it fear? Does fear stop us from, from witnessing? We should be witnesses. Again, we're living in the last days of time, and we really need to be you know, witnessing for the Lord. Is it embarrassment? 
Are we afraid of uh, embarrassing ourselves in front of others? Oh, I look silly. You think I've gone mad, lost the plot. Oh, you're a Bible basher. Are we afraid of being hated or disliked? John 15, 18 says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. So, so what if I'm not liked? So what if I'm not popular? Friends, it, it, do you know what? It'll all be worth it. You know, when we, we stand before the Lord and we hear those, those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So it's so important that we do, we spend time witnessing. We spend time and just ask God to open the door. When we get up in the morning, ask God to open the door. Friends, honestly, he will, he'll open the door. The only thing is we, we have to be ready. You know, so many times God has given us the opportunity, the door's, the door's open, but we're not ready. We're thinking of other things or, you know, we have other things on our mind. So we have to be so, so in tune with the Lord that when the Lord opens the door, we're ready to witness. So as I close and sum up, who doth hinder you this morning? If we were standing in front of a mirror and asked the question, nine times out of ten, the answer will be looking straight back. It's us. See, we can't blame God. It's not God, it's us. Throughout scripture, we see many examples. Who hindered Samson? Well, he was Samson and his desire and his lust for a woman. Who hindered Demas? Well, it was Demas because he loved this world more than he loved God. With Saul, it was pride. With Jonah, it was disobedience. With Lot, it was his drive to become accepted in a society overlooking all the filth and perverseness of Sodom and Gomorrah. So this morning, who doth hinder you? Again, I urge you, if you're not saved this morning, friends, honestly, now is the accepted time. Don't delay. Don't leave it a second longer. As believers, let's run the race, fully committed until the end. Friends, honestly, we're living in the last days of time. We need to be fully committed. Amen? Amen. Well, I pray that preaching and teaching has been a blessing and an encouragement this morning.